Psalm 1. <coughs> Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Um, a number of months ago, um, I felt very constrained to, uh, well, probably constrained is too strong a word, but I felt led um, to begin looking um, into the Psalms. Uh, we probably all experience these moments. As, what, what am I going to read now? You maybe read a book, you know, and you finish it. Uh, what book am I going to read next? Um, and you can maybe go to the bookshelf and you can pick out lots of different things and some take your fancy, others don't. And it can be a bit like that when we come to the Bible. We can maybe read the book of Luke um, and read through it, think about it, and then say, where do we go now? Um, we'll go to Genesis. And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. that in fact, it's a very good exercise. Um, it is a good exercise as well just to read uh, from start to finish because there's continuity in the Bible. Um, but on the other hand, there are seasons in life uh, when it's good to look and to meditate um, upon the Word of God. And don't be frightened by that word meditate. I know some people uh, can sort of associate that with Eastern mystic religions, but meditation is actually part and parcel of Christian, or should be part and parcel of our Christian experience. To, to meditate is simply to think deeply. It, it doesn't mean anything more than that. It's just to think deeply about something. And when it comes to Scripture, it's about thinking deeply about what we've just read. And that's what David is saying here uh, when he talks about he wants to meditate on his law, God's law, day and night. It's like a 24-hour experience for David. Um, and that's, you know, even again in our songs, that's where you see that, you know, to know and experience God just continuously uh, throughout the course of the day. This is what this psalm is going to try to encourage us to do. So I say, when I began to study and read and think in the, in the psalms, I, I became intrigued uh, by how relevant they were. They, they were written, obviously, over 2,000 years ago by a number of psalmists. David is the most prominent of those, the most well-known. Um, but sons of Korah, Asaph, also wrote psalms. And each one of them contributes to this wonderful tapestry of thought. Um, you know, Mark has uh, alluded to some of those um, that will be used during the outreach program with the children in August. You know, mental health. If you read Psalm 6, you, you, your heart could not but be broken as you read David's. Uh, state of health, his mental health. He, he talks to God about how he cries himself to sleep at night. He soaks his bed in tears. His heart is breaking. 
And for those people who have suffered mental health issues, I'm sure they could read a psalm like that and say, that's me. I, f I feel like that. There are nights when I just cry myself to sleep. There are days when I don't know where to turn. There are times and I just don't know what's going to happen. And your heart is just breaking. Well, as you read through these Psalms, you'll see David, you'll see the sons of Korah, you'll see Asaph, all experiencing the same dilemmas as they appeal to God. And so in that sense, although they were written 2,000 or more years ago, in fact, two and a half thousand years ago, more likely, they speak so relevantly to a modern-day society. Mental health, the environment, pandemic. All of these things are contained within the Psalms. And so you could go on. Freedom, the right of freedom, liberty. They're all in these Psalms. And if there's a, there's a book that's worth picking up to read, is the book of Psalms. In reality, there are five books within one book. Um, but they're worth, every single psalm is worth reading. Psalm 1 is like a foundation psalm. It sort of sits here perfectly poised to prepare you for what follows in the next 149. Songs and poems, but essentially they are prayers. The psalms are appeals to God. They, they, they appeal, they worship him, they praise him, but they also appeal to him to, for help in times of trouble. Psalm 1 is about choice, making choice. Now, every one of us has made a choice to come here this morning, and that is good. That's a good choice to make. And that suggests, of course, that you have an interest in the things of God. It suggests that you want to experience God on a deeper level. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother coming. And for those on television, watching online, it's exactly the same. You have tuned in with a view to worship God, to join with others in the worship of God. It's a desire to get to know God better. And so David in this psalm is reminding us of the choices that we need to make in order to make that relationship with God more meaningful. And so let us just think about some of those choices. As I say, the, you've come this morning um, from home. You've, you've made simple decisions, whether to have cornflakes for, for breakfast or porridge. Uh, you've maybe had a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Um, you've decided what clothes you're going to wear. It's going to be too warm. It's need to have, wear, wear something that's nice and fresh um, because of the weather. And so we are faced with choices every single day of our lives. Almost every minute of the day, we will make a choice of one sort or another. Some of these choices have got little significance other than personal taste or personal preference. But there can be occasions when the choices we make can be dangerous. And that's what David is trying to say here. There are times that you need to say, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to walk in the way of the wicked. I am not going to sit down with the mockers of God. 
Now, again, our presence here this morning does suggest and does allude to the fact that we do not do that. Our choice is for God. But on other occasions, <coughs> we may be tempted out of good intentions to walk the same walk with the ungodly, to talk the same talk as the ungodly. And what David is really reminding us of, if we go down that road, the inevitability is that we will end up sitting down with them. If we walk with them, if we talk with them, we too are more likely to become mockers of God ourselves. Now, this is not, please, this is not about being separatist. It's not about isolating yourself from the world. It's being careful about the choices we make. And so David says, be careful about the company you keep because that company can draw you down. On the other hand, make a choice to read God's word. Take a piece of scripture, a psalm, a book, a few verses, and allow God to explain that to you. You can meditate upon it, and that's it, about thinking deeply. So when you go into work, you're doing your work, rightly so, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you're meditating upon this word that God has given you. You're out in the garden, you're doing the garden, you're meditating on the word that God has given you. You're looking after children. You're meditating at the same time on the word that God has given you. That's what David is saying when he says he meditates upon God's word day and night. It's always present with him. And one of the things I love uh, in the Psalms is where it describes not only in, in the Psalm 6 where it says that David goes to bed and he cries himself to sleep, there are other psalms when he goes to bed to pray. He actually lies down to talk to God. I find it wonderful. It's a personal thing. I took, I took the lead from David, and it's something I would do. As, as at times, I just want to lie down and, and talk with God. You know what? God has no issue with that. We may be tempted to think that we've got a needle We've got to bow our heads. We've got to close our eyes. But as Mark said earlier, there's, it's not about one thing. God is all things. And we can talk to God anywhere, everywhere, any time of the day. In bed, out of bed, in the car, in work, in school. doesn't matter. God promises to be with us. It's one of the great promises of Scripture that I will be with you wherever you go. Being attacked by a blue bottle here. <laughs> Over the past couple of weeks, <clears throat> Florence and I have um, enjoyed the company of our son and his family from Sweden. We haven't seen them in almost two years, apart from uh, FaceTime. Um, but they have two little children, Jesse and Mila, and uh, they're fantastic kids, full of energy, um, fun, excitement, like all kids. 
uh, but they have a ferocious, especially Mila, two-year-old, ferocious appetite for fruit. Um, Jessie's not far behind her. Um, but they also have a wonderful appetite for ice cream and sweeties. Um, and if you give them a choice, um, would you rather have an apple or an ice cream? Chances are it's going to be an ice cream, certainly for Jesse. Um, if it's going to be a choice between an apple and a bag of sweets, it's more than likely going to be a bag of sweets. That's because children will choose really what they want to eat. And as adults and as uh, Jesse Mila's parents, they have to make decisions for them. When we grow up, we need to make these decisions for ourselves about what's good for us. A diet of ice cream and sweeties will inevitably manifest itself in ill health. Arguably, a diet only of fruit will probably have the same result. So it's all about balance. We need to be balanced in our approach to all things that we do. And we need to be balanced in our approach to God as well. So what David is not saying is that we need to be isolated from the world. He says we just need to be in love with God. We need to be in love with his word and we want to meditate upon that. Now, as, as Mark has been saying, it's, the weather has been amazing. It's been wonderful to have the sunshine um, and one of our neighbors close to where we live, unfortunately, laid a brand new lawn about four weeks ago. Um, and she was complaining to me over the garden wall that her lawn is dying because there's no rain. And I said, oh, well, I'm not entirely sure what to say to you. I says, because you're praying for rain and others are praying and thank God for the sunshine. And uh, what has God meant to do here? Well, he'll answer that prayer next week, probably, in that he was the, the rain is forecast to come at some point next week. And again, I know Mark and his family at home on the farm are hoping for that. It might just uh, uh, safeguard the, the harvest, uh, which is struggling a little bit. So as I say, that's on the one hand, sunshine is good, but rain is vitally important. And there's this element here that, again, Mark has alluded to. If you can imagine and join with me in your imagination, if you can, so you see yourself going through a beautiful forest uh, and this sparkling stream that's running along the side of you, uh, and this path is overgrown with lush trees and plants growing at the side, they're all drawing their nourishment from the stream, and they're abundant. And David is liking that experience to his walk with God. When he walks close with God, he's like a plant or like a tree that's close beside water and he's receiving nourishment that nourishes him, that strengthens him and keeps him healthy. That's the choice he makes. He says, that's the life I want to live. I want to, I want to live in close harmony with God. I want to walk with God. I want to draw from the nourishment he gives me. I don't want to walk the walk of the wicked. So there's a choice to be made. And that choice, when we make our choice to walk with God and to draw our nourishment from him, then we're saying, God's word 
which is this bread that feeds us. There's a wonderful illustration about this um, in the life of the Lord and during the days of the, the following the crucifixion. I want to just take a, a few moments to read that with you. It'll not come up on the screen, but I want, if you can, in your imagination still, to join with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They have just experienced the most horrible and horrific events in Jerusalem. And the man that they loved dearly and depended on dearly has been taken from them in the most vicious circumstances. And they're trudging their way home to Emmaus full of sorrow and doubt and grief and this stranger approaches. And I want you to, as you listen to this story, I want you to see what is the key to our relationship with God. It says, when we delight ourselves in God, God will delight himself in us. We will be favored. That's why David says, how blessed, how favored is the man who walks with God. And what this psalm will teach us is that the word of God is central and essential to building and maintaining a deep, meaningful relationship with God. So let us read. The road to a mess. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they walked and talked and discussed these things together, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. That's a wonderful invitation. That's an invitation to you and to, to me to talk to God about the things that really, really trouble us, that have disappointed us, have brought us sorrow. He says, talk to me. I know them. He knows them, I should say. But I want you to talk to me about them. And so he invites these two disciples to talk to him about their disappointment, their hurts, their fears, their worries. And so that's what they do. These two disciples begin to share their worries, their concerns. And what's about to happen is about to transform their lives. He asked them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if going further. But they urged him strongly, 
Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is a really beautiful story because it illustrates the concern and the compassion and the love that Jesus had for these two virtually nameless disciples. If you go back just hours, you know, to Peter and John who have rushed to the tomb and to Mary. Mary Magdalene, who redeemed from her life sin. Do you know, you could argue, and probably argue successfully, that she was the first person commissioned following the resurrection of Christ. She was the one told to go and tell my friends, my disciples. The love of Christ during these times of crisis for others is absolutely astonishing. And so he, he comes alongside these two disciples, their hearts are breaking, and he basically puts them together again. God is an expert at putting broken hearts back together. So it's a beautiful story that we read here, and it illustrates the wonderful privilege that we can have. That's not just exclusive to these two disciples. This is something that God promises to you and to me. Every single one of us can have this one-to-one, -one, this personal relationship with the Lord. Now, we could be tempted to be envious of Cleopas, of Peter, of John, of Mary, because they had that close, personal, physical relationship with Jesus. Well, what was going to happen again is even better for you and me. Because what Jesus promised when they become fearful or when they had become fearful that he was going to leave them, he said these words to them. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither knows him nor sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So rather than have this temporary physical relationship in that sense that they had with Jesus, neither are going to have the permanent, everlasting relationship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit of God who was going to live inside them. That's for you and me as well. The Spirit of God is God's gift of grace to you and to me to live within us. All this I have spoken while it's still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So here you have it. We have the Spirit of God as to be our not only our comforter, our advocate, 
but our interpreter, the one who will take these scriptures that we will read maybe in the morning, just a few verses, perhaps a book, perhaps a chapter, it doesn't really matter. What God will do is take those words and begin to apply it in our lives, helping us to make the right choices, helping us to have the right responses to all our fears, to all our anxieties, to all our disappointments, learning how to trust him. We know how flawed David was. David was far from perfect. But through all the fears, disappointments of David's life, he had learned how to believe in God, how to trust God. And here as he writes this psalm, he's an advocate of his own advice because he was not the only one. He was not the original one to offer these words. These words actually came from God himself. God speaking to Joshua when he took over command from Moses said these words. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, whatever you're experiencing, every disappointment, every fear, every anxiety, God's promise to you and to me is that I will walk with you. It's why in this psalm, David says, God knows how to walk with the righteous. And he invites you and me to walk with them.